Hey everyone, and welcome back to an all new, brand new episode of Unknown Serial Killers. Once again, thank you guys for always joining me as we are here to talk about the best thing ever, serial killers. So, we're here today to talk about Otis Tool, but before we get into that, viewers' expression is advised because we are talking about murder, violence, possible drug use, and or prostitution. But of course, we're talking about murder and violence because if we weren't, we wouldn't be here listening. And one more thing, if you guys missed any of these episodes, please go back to all four seasons and catch up and listen to them because you do not want to miss anything because this is where you get your unknown serial killer fit. Let's jump in and talk about Otis Tool. Otis Tool was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida on March 5th, 1947. Tool's father was an alcoholic who abandoned him while his abusive mother would dress him in girls' clothing and call him Susan. As a young child, he was a victim of sexual abuse and forced incest at the hands of many close relatives and acquaintances, including his older sister and next-door neighbor. He stated that his maternal grandmother was a Satanist who exposed him to various Satanic practices and rituals in his youth, including grave robbing. Tool claims his abuse began when he revealed his homosexuality to his family. Tool was often classified as having mild mental retardation with an IQ of 75. He also had epilepsy, which resulted in frequent grand mal seizures. Throughout Tool's childhood, he frequently ran away from home and often slept in abandoned houses. He was a serial arsonist from a young age and was sexually aroused by fire. In the documentary, Death Diploma, Tool stated that he was forced to have sex with a friend of his father's when he was five years old. He felt he knew that he was gay when he was 10 years old and that he had a sexual relationship with a, neighbor, a neighborhood boy when he was 12. Tool dropped out of school in the ninth grade and began visiting gay bars. He also stated he had been a male prostitute as a teenager and that he became obsessed with gay pornography at some point. Tool stated that he committed his first crime at the age of 14 after being positioned for for sex by a traveling salesman. Oh, after being propositioned for sex by a traveling salesman. Tool ran over the salesman with his own car. Tool was first arrested at the age of 17 in 1965 for loitering. Much information on Tool between 1996 and 1973 is unclear, but authorities believe that he began drifting around the southwestern United States and that he supported himself by prostituting and panhandling. While living in Nebraska, Tool was one of the prime suspects in the 1974 murder of 24-year-old Patricia Webb. Shortly after, he left Nebraska and briefly settled in Boulder, Colorado. One month later, he became a prime suspect in the homicide of 31-year-old Elaine Holman, who was murdered on October 14, 1974. With many accusations against him, Tool left Boulder and headed back to Jacksonville. In early 1975, Tool returned to Jacksonville after drifting and hitchhiking through the American South. On January 14, 1976, he married a 25-year 20, a woman 25 years his senior. She left him three days later after discovering his homosexuality. Tool later said during an interview that his marriage was a tactic meant to conceal his true sexuality. 
So his wife's name was Novella Henry. They didn't have any kids because obviously the wedding, the marriage didn't last that long because she figured out who he really was and he wasn't really interested in her. In 1976, Tua met Henry Lee Lucas at a Jacksonville soup kitchen and they likely developed a sexual relationship. Tua later claimed to have accompanied Lucas in 108 murders, sometimes committed at the behest of a cult called the Hands of Death. Police, however, discounted the claims of the cult's existence. On January 4, 1982, Tua barricaded 65-year-old George Sennenberg in a boarding house where he was living in Jacksonville and set the house on fire. Sennenberg died a week later of injuries he sustained in the fire. In April 1983, Tua was arrested for an unrelated arson incident in Jacksonville. Tua confessed to the crime and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Tua signed a confession stating that he and Sennenberg had begun a sexual relationship and after the two had an argument, Tua set Sennenberg's house on fire. Two months later in June, his accomplice, Henry Lee Lucas, was arrested for an unlawful possession of a firearm. It was then Lucas began boasting about the murderous rampage orchestrated by the two. At first, two had denied involvement, but later began backing up Lucas' confession. Lucas also backed Tua's confession to the murder of Adam Walsh. Journalist Hughes and other investigated some articles that appeared in the Dallas Times Herald. It was calculated that Lucas, who had used his 13-year-old Ford station wagon to cover 11,000 miles in one month around 370 miles per day to have committed the crimes police attributed to him. Lucas became widely regarded as a, an accomplished interviewee who was used by police to clear up unsolved murders that had not been involved in, avoid by tool giving false statements and collaboration. During Tua's trial for murdering George Sennenberg, Tua claimed that he did not light the home on fire and only signed the confession so he would be extradited back to Jacksonville. On April 28, 1984, a jury found Tua guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced him to death. Later that year, Tua was found guilty of the February 1983 strangulation murder of 19-year-old Tallahassee, Florida woman and received a second death sentence. On appeal, however, both sentences were later commuted to life in prison. After his incarceration, Toole pleaded guilty to four more Jacksonville murders in 1991 and received four more life sentences. On October 21, 1983, while he was in prison for two unrelated murders, Toole confessed to the 1981 murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh. Six? Six years old? A few weeks after Tool made the confession, however, police officers who were investigating the case announced that they had lost Tool's impounded car in Machete. John Walsh, Adams' father, continued to believe that Tool was guilty. On December 16, 2008, 27 years after the 1981 murder, Hollywood, Florida police announced Tool as the murderer and the Adam Walsh case was closed. The police did not reveal any new physical evidence and pointed out that they still had no DNA evidence. So how did they know it was him? In the 1984, two confessed to two unsolved Northwest Florida slings, including one of the I-10 murderers. During the interview, he admitted to killing 18-year-old 
David Shallard, a hitchhiker who he picked up in East Pensacola. Shallard's body bearing five gunshot wounds in the left side of the head was found on February 6, 1980, approximately 120 feet off I-10's eastbound lane, five miles east of Chipley. The second confession involved the death of 20-year-old Ida Johnson, who confessed that he shot her in the head on the road outside of False Walton Beach after kidnapping her at gunpoint at a Tallahassee nightclub. Whew. Mm. The court found significant evidence that two could be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. I mean, it could be a thing, but you gotta think about it. Do all these, these, all these stereotypes that we all talk about and think about, they all have something mental going on. Two claimed that he picked up Walsh in a serious mall parking lot. Two stated that Walsh came willingly because he offered Walsh candy and toys. He's six. He's going to come if you offer him candy and toys. Walsh soon wanted to go home and began to, to cry. Two said that he had then punched Walsh in the face. Walsh started to cry again, and of course, two, he began to, to wallop Walsh, knocking him out. Two eventually pulled over in a rural area and decapitated Walsh with machete. He drove around with Walsh's head for several days, forgot about it, and after he rediscovered it, he tossed it into a nearby canal. Police officers explicitly lost tools and pound car in its bloodstained carpeting, hindering their ability to proceed with the investigation into Adam Walsh's murder. That was a little hard to actually say out loud. This was a six-year-old baby that you kidnapped from the mall. And when he started to cry because he wanted to go home back to his parents, you you punch him in the face and then throw him in the field and decapitate him. Hollywood, Florida police chief Chadwick Wagner said that two had been the prime suspect all along, but he went on to admit that although two's case was, was weak, he could have been charged during the original investigation of, of it. Wagner acknowledged the fact that many mistakes were made by the department and apologized to the Wall family on its behalf. The family, there's no apology in the world that would make the family feel okay. I, mm-mm. No, 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 no. Nope, nope, no. There's no way. I, I cannot. I don't know how this family got got over the fact that these police officers just bypassed it. Wagner also acknowledged the fact that the lack of new evidence and the inability of Tua to defend himself could provide room for a skeptic to doubt Tua's guilt, saying, quote, if you're looking for that magic wand, that one piece of evidence is not there, end quote. However, after the police re-examined previously evidence, they and the Walsh family were both satisfied with a new report and the existing evidence, which only points to Otis Tua. In response to the naming of his son alleged murder, John Walsh stated, quote, we can now move forward knowing positively who killed our beautiful little boy, end quote. The decision was finally reached when Sewell's niece told John Walsh that her uncle confessed that he had murdered and decapitated Adam on his deathbed in prison. So obviously we know that he died in prison. <laughs> Tua died of psoriasis at the Florida State Prison on September 15, 1996, at the age of 49. 
His body went unclaimed and he was buried in the Florida State Prison Cemetery. Nobody nobody wants to be related to him. Absolutely not. And I don't know if, you know, his parents might have died before he died, but even if they didn't, they want no parts of him. And honestly, I don't blame him. This is a six-year-old boy. Not saying that the other ones don't matter, but he was young. He was six. You stole him out of a Sears away from his parents with candy and toys. And he probably didn't even have any. Maybe candy, but it doesn't explain the fact that you got bored with him because he didn't want to stop crying. You didn't have to do that. You could have just literally drove back to the mall and dropped him off at a store and left and kept moving. But you you killed him. And the fact that he drove around with the head in his car, like he forgot about it, was and still is very disgusting. Thank you guys for tuning in this week and joining me and talking about this horrible person that is known as Otis Tool. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I told I enjoyed telling it. Like I always tell you guys, be nice to people because you never know who they got, who they killed. See you next week. Thank you.